Hello, ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, fellow travelers along the way. Welcome to another episode of the Avalon Mentors Podcast. Let's begin this section by returning again to the witches. The play Macbeth was first performed in 1606. King James VI and I was King of England, James Charles Stuart. King James himself had a deep belief in witches and magic, necromancy and the like. During the era of Elizabeth and also of James, there was a very strong mania that swept across England. A series of witch trials, and belief in witches in general, referred to as the North Berwick Witch Trials from 1590, roughly, until about the 1610. A number of people from East Lothian and Scotland accused of witchcraft in the St. Andrew's Old Church in North Berwick on Halloween night. The trials ran for two years and implicated over 70 people including Francis Stewart, the 5th Earl of Bothwell, on charges of high treason. Allegedly, witches held covens in the old Kirk Green, and confessions were extracted by torture in the old Tollbooth, Edinburgh, from various people accused of witchcraft. One source for the events is a 1591 pamphlet called News from Scotland. King James VI wrote a dissertation on witchcraft and necromancy, which was titled Demonology, in 1597. Several people were accused of witchcraft at the time, including one Agnes Sampson, who was a Scottish healer. She was also known as the Wise Wife of Keith. According to the News of Scotland, Agnes Sampson confessed to causing the storm that drowned Jane Kennedy in 1589, when ferry boats collided during a sudden storm on the 4th. She had made a charm by sinking a dead cat to which her companions had attached parts of dead man into the sea near Leith. The same charm raised the storm and weather effects that threatened the king on his return voyage from Denmark in 1590. So perhaps the king had reason to fear witches. I mean, Agnes Samson had used the phrase contrary wind, a phrase that was frequently used in contemporary correspondence describing ship voyages of all kinds. But Samson used it in a special sense because she had said the king's ship experienced a contrary wind to the rest of ships, then being in his company which thing was most strange and true, as the king's majesty acknowledges. When the rest of the ships had a fair and good wind, then was the wind contrary and altogether against his majesty. The rest of the fleet were able to sail ahead, while the king's ship alone was becalmed or driven back. It's an incident that was described in the Chronicle by David Moisey when James VI set sail for Norway. His ship was driven back to St. Monin's in fight. It's a common weather condition the fourth, but nevertheless, at the time, was seen as witchcraft. But there was a collective mania at the time about witches, not just in England, but throughout Europe, roughly from the 1400s all the way up until about the 1700s, for about 300 years. People were quite terrified of witches and witchcraft, covens, demonology, sorcerers, necromancers. Back in 1486, the Malleus Maleficarum, the Hammer of Witches, was published by two Dominican inquisitors, and it described in vivid detail the satanic abominations of witches. 
1521, Pope Leo X issued a bull ensuring that the religious courts of the Inquisition would execute those convicted of witchcraft. King Henry VIII in England in 1542 passed a Witchcraft Act against conjurations and witchcrafts and sorcery and enchantments. His second wife, as a matter of fact, Anne Boleyn, was accused of being a witch. She was beheaded. 1545, the word occult first appeared in the Oxford English Dictionary, meaning that which is hidden or is beyond the range of ordinary apprehension and understanding. The repeal of 1542 witchcraft was in 1547, during the reign of King Edward VI, the son of Henry VIII. But then in 1562, Elizabethan Witchcraft Act was passed during the reign of Queen Elizabeth IV. It was an act against conjurations, enchantments, and witchcrafts. 1566 was the Chelmsford Witches. It was the first witch trial to appear in a secular court in England. There was a series of witch trials after that in Chelmsford, Essex. And the first woman to be hanged for witchcraft was Agnes Waterhouse. In 1579, the Windsor Witch Trials occurred. 1579 also saw the second Chelmsford Witch Trials. 1582, the St. Osseth Witches of Essex was tried at Chelmsford. In 1584, the discovery of witchcraft was published by Reginald Scott following the Chelmsford Witch Trials. He argued that witches might not exist. But in 1587, clergyman George Gifford published a discourse concerning the subtle practices of devils by witches and sorcerers. Then in 1589, the third Chelmsford witch trials occurred. In 1593, the trial of the Warboys witches of Huntingdon occurred. And in 1593, again, George Gifford published a dialogue concerning witches and witchcraft. It was in 1597 that James VI published his demonology concerning witches and witchcrafts. Later, James VI was, of course, James I of England. And in 1604, James I released his statute against witchcraft, in which he wrote that they were loath to confess without torture. In the 1580s, 13% of the assize trials in Essex were for witchcraft. It was a very, very high number. 64 were accused and 53 were found guilty. Again, a very high number of guilty witches in the 1580s. The accused were tried for maleficium, the use of diabolical power to cause harm, not for heresy. Most of the accused confessed to the charges, although torture wasn't allowed as part of the investigatory or punishment procedure for witches. This sort of collective mania continued into the 1600s. John Stern, who lived uh, 1610 to 1670, was an associate of the self-styled witch finder general, Matthew Hopkins, who was active during the English Civil War. In America, even, this sort of witch mania came over to America, and we had what were called the Connecticut Witch Trials, also referred to as the Hartford Witch Trials. That was 1647 to 1663. During that time, Alza Young, uh, Eunice Cole, Susanna Martin, all were tried for witchcraft and executed for witchcraft in America. So quite the mania swept through Europe and America in the 15th, 16th, and 17th century concerning witches and witchcraft. In fact, all the way up into the 18th century, this lingered a bit more. There was the last witch that was executed in Europe was Anna Goldie, 
She died in 1782, well into the age of the Enlightenment and close to the modern era of the 1800s. She was a housemaid, tried and executed for witchcraft in Europe, in, in Switzerland. She was accused of putting pins and needles into the food of her, her employer to try and kill them. And she was executed by having her head cut off in Claris. So she's referred to as the last witch. People believe witchcraft was very real and had a real effect on their lives. And even up to the very top echelons of power, James I, believing the witches had great sway over his reign and the, and the outcome of politics in England. There was somewhat said that even the gunpowder plot by Guy Fawkes was connected to witches and witchcraft. And certainly one can't immediately discount the possibility of witches and witchcraft, but what is more interesting is the, the mania that sweeps through people so that they collectively think that something invisible and intangible and unseeable is responsible for their actions and responsible for their own suffering rather than accident or providence or their own stupidity. And throughout this mania, one could say, that there might be those who want to curry favor with the powerful, like James I. People surrounding the king, seeing that he believed in witchcraft, might manipulate the situation so that they too gain power and favor in the court. Or they might egg on a crowd to stir them up, to gin them up for mania against people that they disliked. It is a documented fact that most of the people that hunted down witches, put them on trial, executed them, were men. And most of the witches that were accused, with a few exceptions, were women. Disenfranchised people. Poor people on the margins of society that couldn't defend themselves. But most of the people accusing other witches, turning them in, and bringing up evidence, it seems, were actually women. So women were turning in women they didn't like within their own community. People that they saw as a threat, or people that they were jealous of, or people that had done them wrong. And that accusatory finger was pointed at a witch, and they were turned into the powers that be, mostly men, who then put them on trial and condemned them and executed them. That same sort of collective mania one could see in other instances. For instance, a hatred of, say, a race, or a hatred of a class, as happened in France in the French Revolution, or a hatred of a certain political or social idea, so that those who are marginalized or those who are seen not to conform are held out by the majority of people as being dangerous, witches, ostracized, the other. What's particularly interesting about Shakespeare is that Shakespeare was definitely currying favor with the king. James I was his patron on the stage. And so his putting of witchcraft and witches into the play is highly likely a ploy to play to what James himself believed in and saw as important. But Shakespeare does an interesting thing. When we look at the text, we see the witches saying that they have done this, that, or the other otherworldly thing. But what we might also find is that they don't actually influence the life of Macbeth. They tell him possibilities. They point out things that he might not have seen. And therefore, they cause things to grow in his imagination that didn't exist before. His is the responsibility. And his is therefore the guilt for whatever happens to him. 
It's also interesting to note that the witches are three in number. That is a triune imagery. And certainly one could say that this is a connection to the Trinitarian imagery of God. It might be a perversion, just as the Satan in Dante's Inferno is a perversion of the Trinity, having three heads that are fused together. But it may also be that Shakespeare is saying something about the nature of providence, which, when seen from one angle, or seen from those who don't follow it the way that they ought, perhaps could be seen as a form of magic or a form of fate. That concludes another episode of Avalon Mentors Podcast. Thank you all for listening. If you enjoyed the show, would you kindly thumb the like button and also give the show a positive review on whatever platform you're listening on. Until next time, cast off the works of darkness and put upon you the armor of light. So long. Thank you.